there are some places you just don't share your opinion. Like a wedding. Um, excuse me? Uh, where I come from, we don't do weddings like this. Could y'all play more polka music? And what's up with the decorations? We need more glitter up in here. Or dinner at a friend's house. You call this a meal? Where's the filet mignon? And I had specifically asked for at least five desserts to choose from. There's only one here. When we have differences of opinion, or your customs don't match that of another person, it's not considered good form to force others to do things the way you do them. But does this hold up with the way it works in the church? In order to have true unity, there has to be diversity. And in order for unity and diversity to coexist, there has to be love. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. You've heard the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But how does the church find unity when there are others who come from other backgrounds or might do things differently than we do? Charles Tapp tackles this question and explains how the early church dealt with these very same issues as he shares the first part in a new series of messages titled, When in Rome, with part one, Rooted and Grounded. I'm sure that many of you, if not most of you, are familiar with the expression, when in Rome, what? Do as the Romans do. But are you as familiar with the origin as well as the meaning behind that expression. This well-known proverb has as its earliest origin in a letter written by the North African theologian and philosopher St. Augustine in 390 AD to Januarius, a bishop and martyr in the Roman Catholic Church. And according to Augustine's letter, he wrote the following. He says, when I, what? When I go to Rome, I fast on Saturday. But here in Milan, where he was, he says, I do not. And then as he says to Januarius, do you also follow the custom of whatever church you attend if you do not want to receive, or to give rather, or receive scandal? In essence, what Augustine was saying to Januarius is that whenever he visits a place that has a culture that is distinctly different from his own, that instead of forcing the practices of, of his culture on them, that he feels that it's best for all parties involved, that he acquiesce to the norm of that particular culture, lest by not doing so, it may, as he put it in his own words, erupt into scandal. And a scandal is the last thing Augustine wants. But this is what he says. I don't want to give and I don't want to receive scandal, meaning that he didn't want to be the cause of a scandal, but at the same time, he didn't want to receive scandal. And having been in ministry nearly 40 years, I can understand how he felt. But this phrase has become so popular 
that it has withstood the test of time for centuries, so much so that we still use it in our culture today. And to show you just how, how popular and how well-known this phrase is, we don't even have to complete it for you to get the meaning. All we have to do is say, when in Rome, and you know exactly what we mean. You know exactly what the rest of that phrase says. Today, when someone uses this expression, it pretty much has the same meaning as it did in 390 AD, and that is simply this, that it's polite and it's respectable to adapt your way of behaving when you are entering a culture that has different practices than you do. For instance, in some cultures, even within our own country, the United States, if you were to go into some houses of worship, you would take the shoes from off your feet, and in some cases, you would cover your head. For me, this came very clear when I was serving in Jamaica, and I'm accustomed, being from the United States, that when I write the date, I begin with the month, right, the day, and the year. But as many of you well know, Jamaica was under British rule for quite some time and, and still is greatly influenced by that culture. And I learned that that's not the way it's done there. They don't begin with the month, date, and year. They begin with the day, the month, and then the year. Some of you are nodding because you must have some West Indian culture or British culture in your background. Well, this became somewhat challenging for me when I first arrived there because I was determined that I was not going to acquiesce. <laughs> that I was going to be an American. And I'm not going to begin with the day, the month, and the year. I'm going to keep it the way I am accustomed to do it. I'm going to write the month, followed by the day, followed by the year. And I began to do that for a period of time Folk would come to me and say, what is this? <laughs> we don't understand this. Even, even writing certain words. I write the word center, C-E-N-T-E-R. The British way is C-E-N-T-R-E. Who's right? Don't even go there. <laughs> That's another sermon altogether. But I was able to finally come to grips and give in. For I discovered when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But here's the fundamental question that I have for you today. Is this a practice that should be carried out within the confines of the church? Is there room for this kind of culture to exist within the body of Christ when in Rome do as the Romans do, especially in regards to when we are indoctrinating new believers into the faith. And for several months here, we've been studying Paul's letter to the book to the church in Galatia. And now we're beginning to study the book of Romans, his letter to the church at Rome. And although not so in many words, this is exactly 
what the Apostle Paul found himself confronted with. And Paul was up to the task. Because Paul is what was known as, in today's terms, a task theologian. Meaning, Paul wasn't tucked away in some ivory tower with stacks of scrolls all around him, isolated from the challenges of everyday living as a life of, as a believer. But Paul was right in the trenches with them, dealing with the same issues that they dealt with. And if you're a task theologian, you take the word of God and the principles of the word of God and you apply it to the context of that particular culture. And that's what Paul did. Whether it was over some pivotal issue like the incarnation of Christ as he dealt with that in the church of Philippi or was it dealing with the rise of Gnosticism in the church of Colossae or the issue of salvation. Is it by works or is it by the grace of God in the church of Ephesus? Paul was ready for the task, including dealing with issues that were not foundational issues. But although they weren't foundational issues, there were issues that potentially threatened the unity of the body of Christ. And Paul addresses these issues in his letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to verse 3. Look at what God's word says here. Paul says, receive one who is weak, how? In the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only what? Vegetables. How many of you only eat vegetables? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let not him who eats despise him who does what? Not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For Paul says, God has received him. Now put on your seatbelts. There are two camps. I'm not going to go deep into much detail with this issue of meat offered to idols. I did that in a sermon titled The Gospel of Tolerance. And you can go back in and listen to that and, and, and view that. But there were basically two camps in the church in Rome. The first camp said it's unlawful to eat any meat that had already been offered to idols. Then it was the other camp that said, no, 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 no. We understand very clearly that idols are nothing but wood and stone, that they have no life, that there is no power in them. So if meat has been offered to them, it's good to eat, and they would eat that meat. And herein lies the controversy the issue of dispute. But in order to fully grasp the message that Paul is addressing here, you've got to go back and read verse 1 again. For all too often, we just skip over stuff. Even if we don't know what it means, we'll just skip over it. Have you ever done that? Look again at verse 1 of Romans 14. Look at what Paul says. 
Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to what? Disputes over doubtful things. So the first question we need to ask is, what are these doubtful things? Some of your Bibles may have translated disputable matters. First of all, we understand from reading Romans that these were issues that were personal convictions that people had, that they were not absolutes, that they were not issues over morality, what was right and what was wrong, but these are, as it reads in the Greek, matters of indifference. Simply put, things that neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. But here's the next question. Why was there so much debate over these issues? Meat offered to idols, and circumcision, and all the rest. Because as we've been studying, there were many Gentiles, those who didn't know Judaism, weren't that familiar with Judaism, who were now coming into the church. And all they cared about was Christ. These other issues, because they were not issues of faith, but more of personal conviction than salvation, they said, why should we be compelled to have to follow these things? But Paul was dealing with a church that was now comprised of individuals who were culturally diverse in their backgrounds. And when it came to issues, there were not a violation of faith. Paul says, don't make those issues issues. Amen. And if you know anything about Paul's letters to the various churches, you know eating meat offered to idols was only one issue that Paul put in the category of disputable things or doubtful matters. And I would dare say that the response that Paul gave to this church some 2,000 years ago is still applicable for the church today. For we are still challenged with many of the same issues that Paul was addressing here. And because the, the challenge that Paul was dealing with is still with us today, we need to understand clearly how do we deal with not issues of faith, but issues of personal conviction, issues of matters of indifference, issues of culture that are being presented as being gospel. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part one of When in Rome. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lift me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. Like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time. Starting at 91.9, um, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are family. And I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is. 
family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is, which is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And how does the church find unity in the midst of diversity? Charles Tapp tackles this question by using examples from the early church with part one of When in Rome, Rooted and Grounded. How do we deal with not issues of faith, but issues of personal conviction, issues of matters of indifference, issues of culture that are being presented as being gospel? I was pastoring one church, and as you see me from time to time, while I'm up front, I will put my left hand in my pocket. Some of you don't even notice that I do that. But I receive many calls, many letters, many emails. How dare you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and have your hand? I can't make this stuff up. Before I die, I'm going to write a book. But I've got to retire first and go to another country. I was being thrown over the the coals because I put my hand in my pocket and and I was looking to see where that is in Scripture. And I just... (laughs) Did I miss that, Mark? Is, is, Is it in Revelation somewhere? And boy, here was a big one. Put on your seatbelts. I decided to move the placement of the offertory from before the sermon to put it after the sermon. I didn't just receive calls, emails, letters where they never put their names. But I had some bold folk who came to my face. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Can't find it. Ah, so it must fall under the category of what we call what? Disputable matters. And believe it or not, this whole ideology is founded in ethnocentrism. The idea that one particular culture is superior to another culture. And this has been a challenge from the very beginning of the missionary movement where people left this country to go to other countries to take the gospel. You see, they went to take the gospel, but at the same time, many of them also took their personal convictions as gospel and enforced their culture and their practices of that culture on those individuals of that native land. They told those folk, you've got to walk like we walk. You've got to dress like we've got dressed. You've got to even wear your hair the way we wear it. So if it's naturally kinky, straighten it. You didn't know I was going to go there, did you? (laughs) We inflicted, imposed the practices of one culture on another culture, and we packaged it as the gospel. Their goal was to remake these converts to Christianity, not in the image of God, but in their own image. Because in their minds, their culture was synonymous with their faith. The idea of when in Rome do as the Romans do 
was quickly discarded, and the idea became this, when in Rome, do as we do. I'm in your culture, in your country, but you do as I do, and not me do as you do. And truth be told, dear friends, we are all guilty of this infraction in some way or another. For every person looks at Scripture through his or her own lens, and many times it's through the lens of our culture. But the counsel that Paul gives to the church that's been plagued with this issue and still plagued with this issue today is twofold. First, Paul says, you must be willing to look at one another as brothers and sisters, meaning there has to be equality. So when I look at you, I'm not looking down at you. The other thing Paul points out is you've got to take people where they happen to be in their journey of faith at that particular time. And then Paul gives some very pointed counsel, which I truly believe was under the inspiration of God. Going back to the book of Romans, Romans 14, verses 14 and 15. He says, I know and I'm convinced the Lord Jesus Christ that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Listen to verse 15. He says, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, still dealing with this food issue, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. What is Paul saying? If you have a personal conviction that you are to only eat vegetables, by all means, eat only vegetables. But don't you dare take that personal conviction and look at it as gospel and try to enforce someone else to do the same. In other words, Paul says, in order to have true unity, there has to be diversity. And in order for unity and diversity to coexist, there has to be love. I'm not better than you. My culture is not better or superior than yours. My personal convictions are just that. My personal convictions so if you have a personal conviction that women should not wear pants, by all means, if you're a woman, don't wear pants. But don't go preaching that women should not wear pants. Unity in diversity. But what is dividing the church even more today? It's not doctrine. It's these disputable matters. These matters of indifference, where there is no scripture that forbids it or no scripture that commands it. But we in our church develop these rules based out of our personal conviction. Paul goes one more step in his counsel that he gives. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In other words, Paul is saying, I'm praying for you, and I'm telling you why I'm praying for you. You know, it always encourages us as pastors when you come to us and go, pastors, we're praying for you. They'll never stop praying for us. He says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you. In other words, this is what Paul is praying for God to do in the lives of the church. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Here it is. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the what? Inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you be what? Rooted and grounded in love. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Please don't miss this because here's the takeaway. Paul says, as believers, we are to be rooted and grounded, but not to be rooted and grounded in culture, not to be rooted and grounded in our personal preferences, not to be rooted and grounded in our pet peeves. But Paul says the answer to unity existing in diversity is to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. But I want us to look at verse 20. For verse 20 of Ephesians 3, again, is one of those verses that we take completely out of context. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him, you know this verse, don't you? How many of you quote this verse? Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that is at work within you. But you miss the context. The exceedingly abundantly above that Paul is talking about being done in our lives is to be able to love the way God loves. Oh, now you don't like it so much, huh? Paul is saying, if you want to deal with this issue, have the love of God. And once God's love is rooted and grounded in you, you'll be able to love exceedingly above all that you can ask or think. In other words, as he said in Galatians 5 verse 22, he said, the fruit of the spirit of love, da, 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 against there is no law. In other words, there are no limits placed on how far, how deep, how wide your love for your brother and sister can go when you're rooted and grounded, not in culture, but in love. See, when I love the way God loves, it hurts. And how does it hurt? It means I can't always have my way. If you truly love the way God loves, you can't always have your way. Sometimes when in Rome, you're going to have to acquiesce over issues that are not issues of the faith. So if I go back to another country that begins the date with the day, then I put the day. If I go into some places of worship and they say, to enter here, you got to take off your shoes. I can't say, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. We don't take off our shoes when we enter the house. I've got to be rooted and grounded, not in culture, but in love. And that's the only way unity can exist in diversity. Our world is becoming increasingly divisive by the day. If the world can't turn to the church and say, how do you deal with this issue? 
For if they turn to us and say, show us how do you deal with diversity and still have unity, they will look at us and go, you guys are worse than we are. We can learn some things from you. It is time for the church to be salt. It is time for the church to be light. But we got to stop fighting over issues that are not issues of faith. And let me eat my vegetables. <laughs> Trust me, I eat more than vegetables. <laughs> but if that's all I want, let me do it. And if you want to eat what you eat, I'll be more than happy for you to do that. And we can be in diversity and have unity because real unity cannot exist without diversity. Because if there is no diversity, it seeks to be unity and it becomes uniformity. Everybody do the same thing the same way all the time. That's not the church. We ought to be rooted and grounded in love, Christ's love. Who says amen to that today? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part one of When in Rome. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Your culture is not superior to somebody else's culture. It's different. And what we've done with the gospel, we have clothed it in our culture. So if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be a Christian like me. That's a sample of what you'll hear next week as Charles Tapp shares the second part in this series, When in Rome, with the message titled, Rise, Kill, Eat. <laughs>